I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with regulatory attorney Ashley Thomas of the law firm Morris Manning and Martin LLP. Ashley will be discussing trends in FTC enforcement related to health data privacy and security cases. So Ashley, recently the FTC announced a settlement with Flow Health, a vendor of a fertility app used by women. The FTC alleged that the company was unlawfully sharing sensitive information with third-party analytics companies. What is the significance of that health data privacy and security related settlement and what should entities such as health tech companies and also potentially covered entities and businesses associates sort of learn from this settlement? So Flow Health had promised in its privacy policies and notices to its users that it would keep users' health data private, only use it for to provide the services for the apps. But what in actuality would happen that Flow Health was actually disclosing the health data of its users to third parties providing marketing and analytic services. And Flow Health, you know, provide an ovulation calendar, a period tracker, and kind of a pregnancy guide. So it was collecting, you know, women's gynecological health information, which can be very sensitive. And so as a result, a lot of users thought the privacy policy, you know, said that we would not disclose information. It only be used for the purposes of the app. But in reality, that just wasn't the case. And as a result, um, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal that inevitably found out this issue and then publicized it. And so what's interesting is that the FTC has said publicly that they do actively watch the news headlines that, you know, raise privacy concerns and then can conduct their own investigations. And as a result, they ended up doing their own investigation and then reached a settlement with Flow Health. And I think one of the fundamental issues with a lot of apps that are kind of emerging in the digital health space, we've seen a lot of proliferation of mobile healthcare apps and the rise of COVID, and especially, you know, unique to women's health, a lot of apps that are developing to meet the needs of women's health issues, is that you need to be transparent. When you have a mobile health app, you need to be transparent about the information that you're collecting. And that comes through the privacy policy and disclosing what you're actually doing with the health information. So that's one of the fundamental principles that, you know, you need to do what you say and say what you do. And another interesting issue that I thought came up with the Flow Health was the issue of the Privacy Shield. Now, the Privacy Shield was invalidated in the summer of July 2020. And basically what it ha- what happens is in the European Union, the General Data Protection Regulation governs personal health information. It governs health information, personal information in general, including health information of European economic area residents. And basically the GDPR governs how information can be transferred outside of the European Union. And through the Privacy Shield is an adequacy decision that that the U.S. and the European Union had established in order to transfer information between the EU and the U.S. Well, that was invalidated by the Court of Justice of the European Union. And as a result, the privacy shield was invalidated, so a lot of companies could no longer use it. But in response to that, Department of Commerce said that it would continue to uphold the privacy shield decision. And what's interesting is in, in this FTC settlement was they actually upheld the privacy shield and they actually, there was comments related to privacy shield, privacy shield principles that Slow Health did not uphold. So it's interesting because it was the first time that the FTC actually upheld the kind of the notice and choice principles of privacy shield that had never been previously upheld. And so basically under the privacy shield, the notice principle requires organizations to inform individuals 
among other things, about the type or identity of third parties to which it discloses personal information. And so essentially, Flow Health wasn't giving notice to its users that it was sharing this information with these analytics parties. And then it also wasn't giving choice to its users in the sense of allowing users to opt out of the sharing of information. So, th- so that's, those are the kind of the interesting things that happened as a result of the Flow Health Settlement. So Ashley, in a similar situation involving another fertility app maker, Easy Healthcare, members of Congress last year wrote to the FTC with concerns that a watchdog organization had discovered that Easy Healthcare's pre-mom mobile app was sharing personal and location data of its users with three firms based in China. Subsequently, a proposed class action lawsuit was filed against Easy Healthcare by pre-mom users alleging that they did not have knowledge, nor did they give their consent for data to be shared with third parties in China. Meanwhile, recently the government issued a warning about DNA and other sort of sensitive healthcare data being either shared unknowingly with China or in some cases through cyber attacks by nation state hackers of China. But the bottom line was basically issues involving sensitive health information going to China. My question is, how common of a problem do you think it is for app makers to share individuals' sensitive data to third parties, including companies or organizations outside the U.S. legal system without consent or knowledge of consumers? And how should tech companies and healthcare entities sort of vet this? So I think it's one of those things where mobile health apps in, in you know, those in the technology space need to be transparent with who they're disclosing information to. I think, you know, on the fundamental level, they're obviously disclosing information to their service providers, those that are helping them provide the services. So they are sharing that information, but the, the key is to be transparent about where you're sharing that information. And I think, you know, one of the issues with sharing the information with in, to, you know, Chinese companies is that there are laws over there that require localization requirements to keep the data in China. And then also there's, a, you know, there's less transparency in the sense of how much that information is being shared with the Chinese government. And so I think one of the things is technology companies, they are sharing information, but they need to be transparent about where they're sharing that information. And similar with the, the pre-mom, the pre-mom is also in the femtech space. It was, you know, it's an ovulation tracker, period calendar, and basically collecting these persistent identifiers. Basically, you know, identifiers that do not tend to change over time. They're non-resettable device hardware identifiers. And they were sharing this information with these Chinese companies. And these Chinese companies were using it to basically, I think, you know, market their services and products to individuals. And so the problem is you know, they're sharing this information that, you know, can't be changed and individuals had no knowledge of it. And so it's one of those things where it just creates all kinds of issues because in- individuals, when they sign up for these services, they don't have an understanding of where their information may be shared and how they may be targeted in the future for different various services. And so it's very key for companies in this space to be transparent with how they're sharing information and who they're sharing it with. And then also, furthermore, as we're seeing, you know, with these various privacy laws that are emerging, have ob- obligations around future, the onward transfer of data. So when you're sharing information with third-party 
a service provider, ensure that the data that you're sharing it with won't be shared or be only used for the purposes of the services being provided. I know that's a stipulation with the GDPR and the California Consumer Privacy Act is to ensure that data shared with a third-party service provider to only use it for the services being provided. And that was something, an issue with pre-mom. The pre-mom was sharing the information with these third parties but they, and they, these third parties were using it for their own purposes. They weren't, you know, using it solely for providing the services. And so that's an issue that's emerging, too, as we're seeing these various privacy laws that are popping up and that technology companies need to be mindful of is that to make sure that you're entering into contractual obligations with your third-party service providers to ensure that information is not being shared further outside of the services that are in, intended for that service. So now, Ashley, with the new Biden administration settling in, any predictions about enforcement in health data privacy and security cases moving forward? With the new Biden administration, I think they'll continue the trend of continued enforcement. And what's interesting is, you know, we've seen a lot of HIPAA right of access settlement. And this year, we've had seen the 14th HIPAA right of access settlement. It's an initiative that the Office of Civil Rights launched, and it's been vigorously enforcing, you know, the rights of patients to receive copies of their medical records without facing overcharges under HIPAA's rules because patients are permitted broad access to their information. And I think they're going to continue to enforce it. I think in 2020, roughly two-thirds of the enforcement actions of OCR were under the HIPAA Right of Access Initiative, and it kind of ranged from $3,500 to 200,000 in terms of settlement amount. And so I think it's, it's one of those things where OCR still, I think, is going to focus on this. And in, in, in their announcements that these settlements, they've said they're going to continue to focus on this. And I think one another issue that's popped up with these HIPAA patient right of access settlements is that, you know, OCR will receive a complaint and I think kind of initiate investigation and reach out to the company. And what you've seen is a lot of these companies and their OCR settlements is they've received multiple complaints. And I think once you've been contacted by the government, you should obviously make sure that you address those issues. And I think a lot of times what you see is multiple failures that haven't been addressed. And so it's, it's critical that if you get a complaint, you investigate, you take care of what needs to be taken care of, and make sure that you follow the rules as necessary. So looking forward to the rest of the year, Ashley, do you have any top advice for covered entities and business associates in terms of mistakes to avoid this year in terms of providing patients access to data or any other sorts of hot topic areas where we have seen a lot of enforcement by OCR? As I mentioned, the HIPAA right of access, obviously making sure that you're giving access to your patients when they request it. But I think another thing, too, um, an interesting settlement that came up with FTC recently was the SkyMed settlement, which was with a provider of emergency and medical evacuation services. And what, what was an issue that was brought up with that was that SkyMed had on its website this HIPAA compliance seal of approval. And I, and I noticed that's kind of come up in other instances, too, because I think I believe it came up in um, the Flow Health one where companies, especially technology companies and other healthcare providers, put on this, this quote-unquote seal of HIPAA compliance. And basically what SkyMed did was that it put on this seal of HIPAA compliance, but that no other third party had actually reviewed the SkyMed information practices and determined that they actually met HIPAA requirements. They, they didn't have any third party an audit. And so basically, when you're, when you're putting on there that you're, this HIPAA 
seal of compliance, basically you need to ensure that you're actually reviewing your HIPAA privacy policies and procedures and practices, and basically ensure that your information practices comply with HIPAA. And so that's something healthcare providers, covered entities, and business associates should keep in mind of in the future when they put out these terms and these seals to kind of indicate to the public that they may be compliant in various ways, but in actuality they have, they've done nothing towards compliance. So should, covered entities and business associates should be mindful of that. Thanks, Ashley. I've been speaking to attorney Ashley Thomas. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.